Hey, Pawn family, and welcome back to another episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast. I'm super excited for this episode for two reasons. One, because Nick Fulton is on this podcast, and he has been in the industry for so long and has so much information and really gave us an incredible interview. I'm super excited for you to listen to him. The other reason is because I've launched my new website. If you go to pawnleaders.com, it's a brand new website. I'm super excited about it. And if you go there today, I'm giving you a free guide. It's called The Three Pillars of Profitable Pawnbrokers. And I walk you through the 12 things that I believe that in today's market, a pawnbroker needs to do in order to become more profitable and more successful. And I'm getting some rave reviews about it already. People are writing in saying thank you so much. So take this opportunity and check it out. Now, talking about reviews, I'd love to mention the sponsor of the podcast, Podium, who really today on a client call told me that they have 532 reviews for their store and they're using Podium.com. Really, Podium is such an incredible software that allows you to get your client who's walking out of the store to leave you a review without having to really mention it or pry it out of them. It's really, really hard. And this client told me that because they have 532 reviews, they're crushing the competition. People are walking in saying, I found you on Google. I found you on Google. I read your review. I read your review real review. So I've secured an incredible discount for the Pawn Leaders podcast community. Just go to podium.com slash Pawn Leaders. And once again, that's podium.com slash Pawn Leaders in order to get your 10% off your monthly subscription rate. Check them out. They are amazing. Now to Nick Fulton. Nick is the managing partner of USA Pawn in Mississippi with six locations. And the company started in December of 1992 and he's a former National Pawnbrokers Membership Chair, president of the Mississippi Pawnbrokers Association. And he talked to us ab- about how to work it like you own it and what happened because he started off as an employee in the pawn shop and now he's a managing partner of the pawn shop. So here is my podcast with Nick Fulton. Hey everyone, my name is Igal Adado and this is the Pawn Leaders Podcast a podcast to help you make more money, stress less, and live an epic life, all while working at the pawn shop. Nick Fulton, welcome to the Pawn Leaders Podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. No, I know that uh, you're a busy, busy man, and I appreciate you being here. Um, You kind of told me before, this is kind of an in-between time, right? The holidays are over. I'm guessing you guys have to do inventory and do all that type of stuff, stock the shelves. Exactly. But you've got a little bit of time. And I appreciate you giving that to the Pond family. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's that, that calm before the storm. You know, we've we're been filling our shelves, getting ready for, for tax season. Um, so that's, we're just kind of loaning money right now. We're waiting for that, that explosion to hit. And it's, it, you just never know when the checks start hitting. Awesome. So let's talk about, uh, your history in the pawn industry. When did you start working at a pawn shop? Because as you said, you first started working at a pawn shop. You didn't open a pawn shop uh, at the get-go. So tell me a little bit about that. Right. So, you know, my background in younger days was the restaurant business. So I really understood people. You know, I was a bartender, so it made me a good listener as well. Uh, and my father-in-law, who at the time was the National Pawn Brokers Association attorney, um, was also representing Charles Jones out of Texas. I think everybody remembers Charles and 
Morgan, you know, he's still alive and has the big store there in Garland, Texas. Uh, but they, they had started a small store in, in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, they brought in the, the, the two sons, Brian and, and Morgan. And I, I want to say that that store was open three or four years and then they decided to sell it. And um, so Ron was going to, my father-in-law was going to start a, a new chain on his own. And he hired me. And Brian did not want, want him to hire me. I, I, I think he said I was a little mouthy, uh, but I, I think, <laughs> okay. you know, you need a little bit of that in, in our, in our business. You know, you got to be able to talk to people. So I was actually USA Pawn's first employee and we opened our first store in um, December of 91. Um, at the time in, in Jackson, Mississippi, there were, there were 32 pawn shops. So it was a real competitive market. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the National Association training and, and learning more. And uh, whatever, whatever we learned, it, it worked because now there's, oh, there's 10 stores and three of those are ours. So the market, wow. the market is, is uh, you know, we came in, we had well-lit stores. Um, we all dressed professional. We didn't smoke in the stores. Um, it wasn't something that they were used to seeing in Jackson. We called everybody, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And, and really rolled out the, the red carpet treatment. Awesome. And just for the listeners, what is the hold period and the interest rate in Mississippi? Our, our hold period is a 30-day a loan with a 30-day grace. Um, our interest rate is 300 APR. So, you know, pawnbrokers know that. In layman's terms, in 30 days, you borrow 100, you pay back 125. There are no extra fees. Uh, we can charge a lost ticket fee of $3, but you can't charge more than 300%. Got it. Cool. And before we had the conversation and before we recorded the podcast, obviously you sent me a message saying, you go, this is what I want the title to be, which, which is work it like you own it. Yeah. And when you said that to me and you told me your history beforehand, I was like, this is perfect because there's a lot of, you know, managers who are listening to the podcast employees who are listening to the podcast. So tell me, you know, what made you come up with that title and what is it that you want to say to the people listening? who are, you know, working, we'll talk about that first, and then we'll go into ownership and what that entails. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, work it like you own it. Um, in the early days, we made very little salary wise. Uh, there were days where, you know, we would open up the store, we'd have $80 in the drawer. The first guy walks in, he's got a TV he wants to pawn. The second guy walks in, he's got a, he wants to buy a TV. And it was up to you as a, you know, one guy in the store to keep them separate so you could make the loan and make the sale at the same time. So when I say work it like you own it, you have to do whatever it takes to rise above everybody in the room. You want to be the alpha male or alpha female when it, when it comes to a group. There were two of us going head to head for a while, and his name was, the other sales guy's name was Robert Dollar. And everybody knew who Dollar was. That was kind of hard for me to compete with. You know, I'm here to see Dollar. Well, I you know, pr printed my own business cards. They, they were really cheesy. Uh, I called myself quick Nick. So I had to do something to compete. And so it, it, every day was a grind. Um, you know, you pick up cigarette butts, you, you take, get the gum off the floors. I mean, you do everything. You mop the floors, you clean the toilets and you treat the money in the, in the cash drawer, just like it's yours. Every penny counted. So I guess, 10, 11 years into the business, you know, our, our, our principals at the time were my wife, Michelle, her sister, Rochelle, and their brother, Brian. They were the three 
uh, stockholders. And for my birthday in 2000, um, 2001, they each gave up some of their stock to make me an owner. And so for wow. me, that was a, that was a turning point in, in my career. Uh, I always felt that I was an owner, but it, you know, it wasn't on paper. So when they, when they did that, um, you know, it made me, it made me appreciate the fact that they were recognizing my hard work. You, you understand when I say work it like you own it. Yeah. So basically, basically you were the one who created your own destiny. I mean, you worked so hard and you stood out from the other person that they said, man, this guy, you know, deserves something more than just a paycheck. Yeah. You know, and if, and if you want to rise above the best, there is no coming at 830, punch a clock and leave it whatever time your store closes and, and shut it off. You know, if you want to rise above the rest and you want to be better than everybody else, there's so much information for us today online. I, I think that you know as well as I do that the internet totally revolutionized not only our industry, but, but so many different industries. Uh, information comes at you a lot faster now. I mean, I mean you all, when was it that you first got into the business? Man, so, I mean, my first job with it was with my dad years ago, but owning a store was about 16 years ago. Yeah, so do you, do you remember the time before the internet? Uh, I do, because I remember the exact moment where I had to sign on to AOL, and it was like, Exactly. Yeah, so I remember. Well, you know, before that, people would bring you your items, and you would have to negotiate. You might not have a clue what that item was, and you didn't even know how to give a value on it. So you were basically just, you were just guessing. And so on Saturdays and Sundays, we would hit the stores and we would go to Sears and we would go to, you know, um, JC Penney's or wherever we, we could, Walmart, and look at the prices of their merchandise. How much of the TVs, how much of the tools, how much of these, we would open up the paper on Sunday and we would read all the classifieds and see what this stuff was worth. And that's how we got, that's how we made our prices back then. That's how we were able to negotiate. But it, it's so much, it's so much different today. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier. You know, it is a lot uh, like you said, you've got the internet, you've got eBay, you've got Amazon, all these price points. Um, you, and it's also easier for the client as well, I'm guessing, because they can also check uh, what deal that you're giving them and make sure that it's fair. Yeah, so, and it's a lot more competitive today too. A lot more competitive. For sure. Let, let's go back really quick, Nick. And let's talk about like the moment that you were handed the stock, right? You went from being an employee essentially to an owner. And even though you worked it, you know, like you own it, what changed in the mindset when you went from that employee to owner? Oh, it was, um, the only thing that really changed for me was just, just my pride. You know, um, I was always proud of, of what I did. You know, it's, it's cool. Our job is so cool. I mean, we talk about, the, we go to parties and people say, you know, what do you do? And, you know, I, I'm a banker. Oh, great. What do, you, what do you do? Oh, I'm a real estate attorney. Well, that's all great. You know, Nick, what do you do? Hey, I work in a pawn shop. No kidding. You work in a pawn shop. Do you ever do this, do that? So, you know, our job has always been really cool. But, but for me, when they, when they handed me the slip of paper, you know, of course, you, with the tears and the emotions, everything, I just had a, you know, it was a, a lot of pride. Love it. Great. So USA Pawn's got 10 stores. Nope, we I'm have sure six. Six, excuse me. Six, Sorry. But you know, it feels like 10. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you got six stores, and I'm sure you guys have made some mistakes on the way. 
Um, I'd like for you to share with the audience and those of you know who are opening up their first shop, who have the first one, think about the second store. What are some mistakes to avoid when opening up you know, six shops and going to that second store, third store, or fourth store? What are some of those mistakes that you can look back and say, man, I wish I knew this and you want to share with others? Okay. So before you, before you have the mindset that you want to, you want to open up another store, you got to make sure that your first stores, you've maximized it. You can't grow that store anymore. And the only way to grow your company is to go to a second store. Before you do that, you've got to have a, a person ready to open that store and run that store every day, just like you would do. So now you're going to be dividing up your time between your first store and your second store. So you have to have people you can trust, people with integrity. Um, to do that, though, you have to have them ready. You can't just say, okay, we're going to open up the store. I'm going to throw somebody in there, and I'm going to bounce back and forth because that's nobody can, nobody can do that well. So you have to be proactive and train your people. Train, train your person to replace yourself. That's, that's my biggest, that's my biggest thing is to train, teach everybody what you know and heck with what they know, they might end up being smarter and better than you are. And then, then it's on to the third store and then on to the fourth store. And, you know, now, like I said, we're at six. Uh, so I just want to repeat that real quick for everybody to hear. You basically said train that person to be able to replace you. Absolutely. And I love that because I think that if you hire smarter people, then that's how you grow. I think you know, Bob Moulton said it. He said, I just hired smarter people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and Bob, Bob's and one of those who's got it figured out. I went to visit Bob about um, eight to 10 years ago. At the, at the time, he also had um, six or seven stores. And I think today he's got, what, 11, 12? Yeah, like I think they're going on 12 or 13. Uh -huh. he's, he's got a heck of an operation. I mean, Bob does everything right. His stores are well lit. Uh, his people are in, in ties and button-down shirts. Um, he's um, a very charitable man. He, you, know, you see him giving back to his community. So, you know, Bob is, is one of those guys that's figured out his niche, and he's uh, done a very good job with that. So let's talk about yours. What's USA Pond's niche? I mean, what has created that success for you guys? Well, you know, we have, um, we're fortunate that we have, you know, a pretty big store, uh, the mega store that we built four years ago is 34,000 square feet. And wow. it's, the, it's the biggest in Mississippi. Um, one of the biggest in the South. And we're able to store a lot of merchandise in that store. So we will buy truckloads of television sets. Cause I think there's, there's nothing that looks better when you, when somebody walks in my store and I have 40 or 50 television sets up there all on the same channel. They all look great. It just, you know, it creates an image like, wow, this is like Best Buy. This is like, you know, a high-end electronic store. So we carry a lot of TVs. I mean, right now we have five to 600 TVs in the back waiting to hit the shelves as soon as we sell one. I want to keep my stores full of electronics at all times. You know, this, unlike, unlike New York, California, Atlanta, Dallas, the big cities, you know, we, don't like, we don't get a lot of big diamonds. We don't get a lot of Rolex watches. I mean, we get some. But it's, we're more of a, a lawnmower and weed eater type brick and mortar store. But for us, I, I think it's the electronics. So we are fortunate. Uh, I know that you know, the real estate's real expensive in those bigger cities like that. And it's not so much where we are. So that's why we went with a bigger store. Um, and we've got those TVs ready to go at all times. You know, I remember the old days when people would come in after tax season and they would walk in your store and your shelves are bare. And they're like, are you going out of business? 
<laughs> no, no, I, I remember that. We're having a stay in a business sale, is what we're doing. Yeah. But we like to keep so Go ahead. So, stock your shelves all the time. That's one of your niches, right? Have, have that yeah. product out there. And if you don't have it yeah. coming out of pawn or buy, you guys go out and buy it and bring it in, correct? Yeah, subsidize. You, you got to have your stores full at all times. If, if they don't see it in your store, then they're going to go somewhere else and get it, obviously. So you do yeah. what you can. You stock up. Use as much space as you can in your back room to be ready for times when you, especially with what we have coming up. I mean, nobody, nobody wants yeah. to have bare shelves. You're losing money. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Especially with people coming in for tax season, right? This is the season to – people got cash in their pockets, and this is the season to sell. Yeah, and, and it's, this, this season is different than anything else. This is the time – when the, the bottom 30% of um, the population that are relying on some kind of government assistance, they have, a, they have a job, but they're not making a whole lot of money. And this is their bank. This is when they cash in. And they, they've been going through a vicious cycle the last 11 months. You know, the, right after tax season, you know, they start paying a few bills here, a few bills there. We'll see a couple of, you know, see a lawnmower. And then we'll see a 32-inch TV. And then come June, we'll see the 42-inch TV. And then by November, they're bringing in the 65-inch flat-screen TV. And so that's kind of like their savings account, right? So that's how they, that's how they fund their, their lifestyle. They buy all this stuff up at tax season. The money is gone. It's gone very fast for them. And so they buy stuff and acquire it, and that's how they keep, keep it going through the rest of the year. I mean, we see it as a cycle. And essentially, they buy it, and then if they need the money, they come back and pawn it with you. So. Yes. Yep. Awesome. All so, uh, so I reached out to the uh, Palm Leaders Podcast community. If you're not part of the community, just go to Facebook and type in Palm Leaders Podcast and uh, join our community. I reached out to them to ask you some questions. And I want to touch on um, the superstore that you mentioned that was 30-something thousand square feet. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to go out there and check it out one day. Um, Greg Enstrom asked, how much better does a superstore do than one half its size? You know, does it scale up, like double the size, double the profits, or is it just double the work? Okay, so our, our mega store, it, when we first jumped in there, we had no, before that, we had no uh, building payment. Our electricity bill was $800 a month. Our labor was, I don't know, $8,000 $8, a week, something like that. And now it's like $140,000 or $150,000 a month. $14,000 a month uh, utility bill. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not like having a, a 6,000 square foot store. It, it, we knew that it was going to take some time. We didn't know it was going to take this long, but it's not like you can just double your business in a year. So it's going on four years now. Um, we have seen quite a bit, a big tick in the loan balance, but the, the big part of the profit has been the sales. Since we do have such a big sales floor, uh, if the other stores get crowded, we just send the merchandise over there to the, to the big store. But, you know, not only that, we've got, our, um, we've got a training center that's upstairs. So for anybody, before they, before they hit the floor, they have to go through some training. And we've got a room up there. We also have our, our internet department that sells all our eBay and gun broker and that kind of stuff is upstairs. So it's more, it's more than just the pawn shop for us. There's a lot of other things going on in that store. But you know, to, to answer Greg, this is more like opening up three or four stores in one. And it's not going to, it's going to take some time. Got it. I can, I can only imagine. I mean, when my brother went, my brother and I, we went from 
900 square feet to, I think it was 11,000 square feet. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of work, tons of work. And going to 30 something, that's bravo to you guys. <laughs> yeah. It takes some guts, that's for sure. Yeah. A few extra pounds and a few extra gray hairs. There you go. Now, talking about gray hairs, that was a perfect segue. Uh, you have been in the pawn industry for a while and you've held leadership roles yes. in the pawn industry. You're currently the president of the Mississippi Pawnbrokers Association. That's right. And at some point, you were the membership chair for the NPA. That's correct. Um, so tell me about that. What made you want to take on the leadership role for, for Mississippi and, and become the president of the association? Well, you know, in all fairness to, to pawnbrokers across the country, you know, so there's so many people that just sit back and complain about everything and they never, they never actually step up and participate. I guess it's pretty much like any board or any association. You're always going to have about 6% of the people that do all the work for everybody and they, they reap the, benef the benefits. But you know, I was in the NPA for a long, long time. Uh, I knew that it was time for me to step down and let some other people come in. And, you know, frankly, I don't think these positions should be, you know, lifetime, kind of like our government. I, I think there should be term limits. And it was the same for uh, the, our state association. I had not served there in an officer capacity um, since it had been in, into play. So, you know, I just made mention that I would be interested in serving one day. And, you know, last year they came to me and said, we want you to be president. I was like, eh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I got a lot of work going on. And, you know, my son just started in the business. So I've been training him. And I said, I don't know if I'll have time. But I made the time. And then they let me know that, oh, by the way, your state's also in charge of the, the Dixie conference that involves four state, and um, good luck with that. <laughs> so, it's, it's a great conference, that's for sure. It is a good conference. We were glad to have you there last year. Uh, thank you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to be there uh, this year for sure. Um, so what, what's, what are you seeing? I mean, you know, Seth Ward asks, what message do you have for pawnbrokers who are inactive in their state and national association, and why is it important to be a part of your associations. Yeah. So from, from a vendor standpoint, um, I appreciate everything that they do because they fund a lot of things, you know, for, for our association, I think our sole purpose is legislative. And so we take our money that we make throughout the year and, you know, it helps us with our lobbyists. It helps us uh, whenever they have sessions with our senators and states, we're doing it to protect our business. We appreciate the, what the vendors do for us, and we've built a lot of relationships with people like Seth, um, people like um, Peter Spector and Jack Brown, and um, I, I mean the names the names go on and on. Eminent Merchandisers are a lot of one of our big vendors that we deal with, but um, you know they they take the time out, they come to the shows, and I think it's only fair that, that you know, I always ask people, you know, they they ask me for my business, and I say, you know, do you do you go to the shows? Do you support the MPA? Do you support the, the Dixie? I mean, if you're not there, I mean, I'd rather give my money to those guys because they're giving it right back. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And the now, what about, uh, Go ahead. Well, what about the pawnbrokers themselves who, you know, if there's a pawnbroker listening, who's not part of their state or the national association, what message do you have to them? You know, you only have, you only have one opportunity to, to make a difference and, uh, they don't realize that, that maybe that they've got one of their senators that visits their stores or um, you know, last year we had a lunch with about seven or eight senators and their guides. And this woman, um, you know, we've, we've been in business since 1991 and she said she had never been in a pawn shop. She didn't even know who we were. 
She was just there for the free lunch. You know, and that kind of, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it, I get it. You know, she got a nice steak and, and for lunch. But I said, you know what? It's time for us that we have to get out and go to these functions and call these senators and get them into our stores and have a function. Because, I mean, you know, we're not a, we're not a big wheel out there you know we're not some big conglomerate like you know the the shot show or anything like that but we do have a lot to offer and we do come in contact with a lot of people every day who vote you know yeah. right now i've got a friend that is running for uh, attorney general and she likes pawn shops and the attorney general has has a big impact on our pawn industry here so i'm glad to know that i will have a friend in that position so i would i would recommend anybody out there you know, at least just, you know, get on a committee and find out what's going on. You'll stay better connected. And, you know, they probably don't know everything. They're not getting enough information. I mean, you see what goes on in Facebook every day. You know, there, there's something new that comes out every day that I learn from another pawnbroker that will save me $100,000 this year. Oh, or for make, sure. Every time or, I've, gone, I've gone to any, anytime I've gone to any of these conventions, I've learned more there than anywhere else, for sure. Exactly. 100%. Get involved. So, yeah. So, uh, let, let's go back a little bit. I mean, you from from employee, first employee of USA Pond. You worked it like you owned it, um, and that was like not complaining. You you know picked up the garbage, the cigarette butts. That you talked about the the um, the chewing gum, and uh, you just you know put your head down. And you did a great job, and you even made your own business cards. Like that's that that's incredible. And I hope that anybody who's listening who isn't a store owner you know, gets inspired by that and takes ownership because that's what us as owners want, right? Now you being an owner, you want your staff, your managers, your assistant managers to take ownership and not just be, you know, a customer service manager, but a real manager who thinks like you do and does what you kind of does what you wouldn't do, like the, uh, goes above and beyond even the owner, correct? Yeah, you know, and, and, and nothing excites me more than when I hear one of my, my, my team members they come up to me and go, hey, I just want to let you know I'm buying a house. Or, hey, oh, nice. I just want to let you know, man, that I just, I just bought my first brand new vehicle. I've never had a new vehicle before. You know, that, that makes me feel good. I know it makes them feel good. So I know that they're working hard and they're, and they're making a good living and they're able to, to move up and move forward. But, yeah, you, you work it like it's your own. And, you know, who's to say that you won't have your own store someday if you want that? Yeah, I agree. I love that. I love that message, Nick. I really, really do. And, uh, I'm going to go with a couple of questions that were asked in the Pawn Leaders podcast community. Um, you went from being uh, an employee to getting the stock. How difficult was becoming a partner? You know, me and my brother, we were brothers. You know, it's a little bit different when it's that close to family. How is, how is a partnership? How, how does it work? Is it, is it difficult? You know, how, what happens when you sit down and you have a disagreement? Yeah, so, you know, to take it a step further, not only did we have a partnership, but it was a family partnership, which made it twice as double. And so you know, we would have, if we had disagreements, we always had to remember there was always have to have, there always have to be compromise. And when you compromise, you sit back, you listen to each other, and you remember that in one's weaknesses, the other person's going to have strengths that are going to cover up those weaknesses. Like Brian, his he specialized in, in the real estate and he was able to go out and find us locations. And so we played on those strengths and, you know, we have some that are on the interstate today, which is, you know, that's a big deal. You know, you don't have to yeah. do as much advertising for that, but you, you really, um, to, to give, and it's not going to work for everybody. 
it, it's just not. Uh, you know, you, we all hear stories like, man, I had to fire my brother. And, and I literally did have to fire my brother uh, for stealing back in 95 or 96, somewhere in that wow. area. Yeah. And I've had to fire my best friend from high school from stealing. So um, it, it's, it's, it's difficult, but it is attainable and it is achievable. And obviously you showed it working with your brother and, you know, you see Les and Seth fighting on TV, but we know that that's not a real deal. And those guys yeah. love each other and they've got the father son thing worked out. You know, and, and I'm starting to deal with that now with my son uh, who just joined the business, Nick jr. Uh, as my Argentina uh, staffer likes to call him baby Nick. Uh, you know, <laughs> so he's starting to, he's starting to really see what we went through, you know, in the early days, he's going through the same thing. Now the, the growing pains of coming home, talking about work and you know, how hard it is. And, and so it's, it's at some point you have to shut it off. Yeah. Love it. So uh, Peter Spector asks, where do you see USA Pawn as far as growth? And what are some short-term goals you guys are looking to achieve? Well, you know, we still have um, growth opportunities within the six stores that we have. Of course, we would always love to open up more stores. And we're talking about that now. Uh, but we're behind. We still have to do more training. I have, I have two right now that I could go open up a new store and plug them in. But it, it, I think we just need more training and have more people under them ready to go. Uh, Goals-wise, short-term, and it's crank it out, put money in the bank. I think we all have those, those same goals. Uh, we're fixed to move more to some e-commerce, more than just what we do on eBay and GunBroker. Uh, I mean, let's face it, eBay gets what, 10%, 10.5%, gun broker, 8 to 10%. Um, if you cut that out and you lower your margins, you'll have a better turn and put them, you know, more cash flow, room for growth, right? 100%. I agree with you. And I think with the, with the internet today and what you can do with SEO and Google AdWords, you can actually make that happen easier than before. Yeah, you know, and, and I opened up my first eBay operation in 1998. At the time, I mean, it was, nobody really knew a lot about it. So it gave me an opportunity to go around the country. And that's where I met a lot of California people. I came out there and did a, a seminar on how to sell on the internet. Um, I got to go to South Carolina and do a show out there. Went to Vegas a couple of times. Uh, and, but so much of that has changed now um, with the trends. And pe like I said, people finding their own niche. When you look at um, look at Jamie Smith out in Iowa, and I went, I was going to say something nice about Jamie until he started popping off on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I you saw know, that he deserved yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, when I when I think of coin guys, I, that's who I call, and uh, you know, yeah. and I've I bought coins from him, I've sold him some coins, so you know, I'm not going to sit there and just use his information. But Jamie figured out his niche. Michael Mack, I mean, look what he's done with his with his uh, high end bags, and Michael went out of his yeah. way to to teach others. You know, and so I feel that if, if, as an industry, if we want get, to get better and continue to grow, we have to teach others because when they're better, we're all better. Yeah, I agree. And, and on that note, I do want to give you guys a plug at the Dixie Convention. I believe that it doesn't matter where you're from, you should go to these conventions anyways. And if somebody wants to check it out, go to DixieConvention.com. And I'm looking at the picture of the Perdido Beach Resort, and it looks outstanding. So yeah, I'm really excited to be and there's some really awesome restaurants around there with uh, a lot of fresh seafood right across the street. Um, there's a place and they've got Royal red shrimp and it's the best. It's the best on the coast. It is. That's some good eating down there. So yes, yeah, hopefully we'll have a nice 
sunny beach for everybody in, in late March. Awesome. Well, Nick, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. My pleasure. All right. And uh, Pond family, don't forget to go to pawnleaders.com if you want to schedule a call with me, a strategy call. And I've got something new. I've got a brand new website and I wrote a guide called The Three Pillars to Profitable Pawn Shops. Just go to pawnleaders.com. It's a free download. And I teach you the three pillars to make more money in your store.